Hello, welcome back to Alpha. It's week three and today's big question is how can I be sure of my faith? Will what we're trusting in hold us? Will what we're leaning on bear our weight? Here's a funny clip from Only Fools and Horses. You see, nowadays, these modern Euro birds, they go for the more mature men who've made it in life. Yeah? Is that why we're having no luck? <laughs> no. <laughs> I haven't started yet. Just building myself up to it. Yeah, well, you better hurry up and be closing time soon. All right, all right. Winner here, three. All right. Play it nice and cool, son. Nice and cool. You know what I mean. We're leaving. <laughs> Aren't you going to try for them birds? No, no, you're cramping my style, mate. You're cramping my style. I think that's really great. Is what we trust in able to bear our weight? Is what we're trusting in the right thing, the truth? What does it mean to have faith in Jesus? So far on the Alpha course, we've looked at who is Jesus, the historical evidence for who he was, and the amazing claims that he made. Why did he die? The problem of sin, and God's amazing response to us, his rescue plan, the cross. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So what does it mean to believe in Jesus, to trust, to have faith in him? Every day we make decisions, when to get up, what to wear, what to eat, what to do. There are little decisions and there are big decisions. Perhaps for most of us, the big decisions of life are about relationships, work, lifestyle. But these decisions pale into insignificance besides the, the biggest decision we need to make. And that's about our response to Jesus. Bernard Levin might have spoken for many people. He was an influential Times columnist. And he described the experience of trying to decide about Christianity in this way. He said, I'm like someone hovering over the edge of a swimming pool, simultaneously longing to jump in, but fearing at the same time to jump. Bear Grylls says about his Christian faith, what does it take to live a life of adventure? The first step is always the hardest. That's the one that takes the most courage. But I've learned not to run from that fear and to just do it. One of the strongest pieces of evidence for the reality of Jesus is the difference he makes in people's lives. The church has often been described as God's lost and found department. In one of the most famous Christian hymns that we sing called Amazing Grace, 
The writer describes his faith as, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Every Christian has a story, whether dramatic or not, of what they were like before they knew Jesus and what has happened since they knew Jesus, the difference that he has made to everyday life. So this is my story. I was brought up in a Christian home. My parents were missionaries in South America, Brazil, that's where I grew up. Apparently at the age of four, I declared that I didn't believe in God anymore and that only nasty things lived in me. I think I was only having just a bad day. But certainly I do remember as a young teenager rebelling against faith. I dismissed any thought of God as a reality and the thought of believing in Jesus was no part of my thinking or my life. My experience of church had been that it was a bit irrelevant to me, dull and boring, almost deliberately so. I used to have a lot of sympathy with Robert Louis Stevenson who wrote once in his diary as if recording an extraordinary event. I've been to church today and I'm not depressed. I used to think to myself, well, if this is all true, it should be more exciting than this. I was very critical of the church as a young man. And now as a church leader, I often find myself apologizing to people who have been put off Jesus by the church. And if that's you, I'm sorry about that too. It shouldn't happen. I remember as a very brash and arrogant 16 year old fronting up to my parents in the middle of a big argument and calling them weak people because they needed Christianity as a crutch to lean on. My parents were always very gracious, always loving, always forgiving. But strangely enough, in different parts of my life, I strongly defended Christianity against anyone who would dismiss it out of hand. At least I knew what I was rejecting. I remember one good Friday, I was at work and in our workplace, our staff canteen looked over the high street of the town we were living in. And out of the corner of our eyes, we saw a group of people coming down the high street. And right in front was a man carrying a large wooden cross. People began to joke and make fun of this group. And I suddenly realized the guy at the front carrying the cross was my brother. And I began to lay into them that they didn't know what they were saying. They didn't know what they were rejecting. I fiercely defended that group of Christians for having the courage of their beliefs. I guess you could say I was a typical angry young man rebelling against everything. As an 18 year old, I went traveling around Europe with my best friend. We left everything behind, proving our independence. We traveled to Greece and then spent our days island hopping until we had the, the bright idea to travel to Turkey it seemed a great adventure. So we sold our tent and we paid a fisherman to take us over from one of the Greek islands. It was a great adventure. Turkey was beautiful. But as we began to run out of money, we decided to make our way up to Istanbul. Our independence had run out. We needed help. How were we gonna get back home? 
I remember we made our way to the British consulate. They enabled us to have a phone call back home. I remember ringing home and all I could think of saying when the phone got picked up by my mother was, can you come and pick us up? That's what I used to say when we were out late at a party or something. Where are you? The reply came. Istanbul. What? She said, what are you doing in Istanbul? And then after a brief conversation, she said, we'll pray for you. Pray? We need more help than that. In the end, we went to the airport and decided to wait for a standby flight. We were told there were none available until the Friday. This was Monday. We had nowhere else to go. To cut a long story short, amazingly, miraculously, we got a flight home that day and arrived back home that evening. I remember arriving at the back door of my home and there was pandemonium. I'd left saying, I'm going to be independent but it was an amazing homecoming. It reminds me of a story in Luke 15 called The Prodigal Son. Read it if you can. I discovered that my parents had rung round every person in their church and asked them to pray for their son, that he would be home safely that day. It made a huge impression on me. Over the coming weeks, I started to think more and more about Christianity and more and more about whether I should believe or shouldn't. If I was going to reject it, I wanted to reject it on the basis of knowledge. There were so many excuses I had why I couldn't believe. Suffering in the world, creation, other religions. And one night I'd shared with my best friend that I'd traveled around Europe with, but. That night, I didn't drink much at all. And as I walked home in the dark, it was really late at night. I crossed over a little bridge just outside the town where we lived. And I heard what seemed to me to be an audible voice. And the voice I heard said, what about me? I even looked to see if there was anybody there, but there was no one there. What about me? I suddenly in my heart knew what that meant. I knew it was Jesus and I knew that he was asking me about all the excuses that I had why I couldn't believe, but that I'd never made a decision about him, who he was. And over a period of weeks, I just thought more and more about Jesus. And gradually, I just said yes to him. If he was who he said he was, and if he had died for me, and if he had conquered death, then I wanted to trust him. I would follow him. But how? I remember saying a prayer. Jesus, if you're there, come into my life. Nothing. Nothing happened at all. I was expecting some kind of sign, some thunder or lightning, but nothing happened. In fact, I was a bit angry with God for a few days. And then one night after work, I got home and I did something that I had not done for so many years. I actually knelt by my bed and I prayed. I remember praying, 
Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for dying for me. I give you my life. I will do whatever you want me to do. I will go wherever you want me to go. But please come into my life. The if had gone. And he did. And he has never left me. And he's never let me down. I couldn't stop smiling. Something inside had changed. Something on the outside had changed too because my colleagues at work could see there was a difference in me. They thought I'd got religion. It would be just another phase, like my punk phase or the new romantic phase. And part of me thought, well, okay, that's it. I've done it. Life's over. Grow a beard, buy sandals, settle down. But it wasn't like that. I'd been changed from the inside out. I had a relationship with God and I knew it was real. And I couldn't stop talking to him. And within months, I was being invited to speak at little churches. And I was seeing people become Christians. It was amazing. I know God must have a sense of humor because I'd been so critical of the church growing up. And then he called me to be a church leader. But I was a new person. The Bible says, when someone becomes a Christian, they become a brand new person. I was, and I still am. Jesus called it being born again. He said no one could enter his kingdom unless they were born again. A spiritual birth. New life. You see, when we believe in Jesus, we become children of God. Now, I'm, I'm a parent, and I know that any good parent wants their children to know that they're loved, to know that they're secure. And it is the same with God, our Heavenly Father. The Bible tells us that it is possible for us to be sure of our faith. The Apostle Paul says in one of his writings in the New Testament, when someone becomes a Christian, they become a brand new person. Jesus called it being born again. He said that no one could enter his kingdom unless they were born again. It's a spiritual birth. It's new life. And when we become Christians, we receive this new life and we become children of God. God wants us to know that we are his, that we have been forgiven, that we have a relationship with him and we have eternity to look forward to. So what's our faith based on? Just as the three legs of the camera tripod in front of me hold the camera, our assurance and our relationship with God stands firmly based on the activity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The three members of the Trinity. God promises that God the Father speaks to us through his word, what God says in the Bible. The work of Jesus, God the Son, what he did for us on the cross. And the work of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit who comes into our lives. So the word of God. If we were to rely on our feelings and emotions to run our lives and to dictate our faith, we would be like a roller coaster, up and down. 
or like the waves of the sea, up and down, depending on the circumstances. One day we would have faith, another day we wouldn't. But God's word promises that we can be sure, and his promises never change. In fact, they are renewed every morning. Our faith is based on what God has said, not on what we feel. And one of the promises that God makes in the Bible comes from the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. This promise became the subject of a very famous painting called The Light of the World, painted by Holman Hunt. It's the only British painting to have two originals painted. One hangs in St Paul's and one in Keble College in Oxford. And in the painting, Jesus is holding a lamp and standing at the door knocking. It's the door of our lives. The door is covered with ivy and weeds, our sins and the clutter that gets in the way of us and Jesus. But Jesus knocks and he waits for us to respond. Someone pointed out to Holman Hunt that the door had no handle on it. And he said that that was deliberate because the handle is only on the inside. The door can only be opened from the inside. We have a choice. Freedom to choose. It's one of the greatest risks God took to give us freedom. But we know that love, real love, cannot be forced. You cannot make someone love you. But if we open the door, he promises to come in and be with us forever. Jesus said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. This painting is special to me in a number of ways. When my daughter was four years old, she came into my office as I was preparing for this very Alpha talk. And she saw my copy of The Light of the World and she asked me about it. And I began to explain to her the meaning of the picture. And then she asked me, can I invite Jesus into my life? After I pulled myself together, I said, of course you can. And at four years old, she invited Jesus into her life. It was the beginning of her journey of faith. It was real, and her faith would come truly alive as she got older and older. But isn't it amazing that even a child can understand the good news that we can have a relationship with God? Another reason why this painting is so special to me is I remember on one of our earlier Alpha courses some years ago now, I had the worst experience of a small group meeting. I had re three real skeptics, a couple of atheists as well, and they gave me such a hard time why they couldn't believe in Jesus. I got a bit downhearted about it, to be honest. Why is it so difficult for people to believe? And I have to remember that I found it hard as well. One of them was called Phil. His wife had become a Christian on a previous Alpha course. He was very hard, a bit angry, I thought. And he was also ill, but in denial. He only lasted three weeks of the Alpha course. It's all rubbish, he said. When you're dead, you're dead. Death is just turning out of a light. There's nothing afterwards. 
It's just wishful thinking, pie in the sky. I was sad that he left, but continued just to pray for him. Some time later, I got a phone call from his wife. And she said, Phil would like to speak with you. Would you come round to the house? By now, Phil knew that he was dying with only a few weeks to live. I went round a little nervous. Was he still going to be quite angry? But he wasn't. He said to me, I can't believe in nothing anymore. Please tell me about your faith. He wanted to make peace with God. He said to me that he realised he hadn't been a very good husband or a very good father and he wanted to make peace with God but felt a bit of a fraud turning to God at the end of his life. He realised he only had a few weeks to live. I talked to him about God's love for him and how God wanted him not to perish but have eternal life. I talked to him about the day Jesus died on the cross and how he was crucified between two criminals and one hurled insults at him, but the other turned to him in faith in the last moments of his life. And Jesus said to him these amazing words, today you'll be with me in paradise. Phil asked me, how, how do I become a Christian? And I talked about this picture that he had seen on the Alpha course. Holman hunts the light of the world. Jesus is knocking and only you can open the door. It's a step of faith, trusting in Jesus. And he wanted to do that. And he prayed a prayer inviting Jesus into his life. At that moment, I called his wife to come up and she ran up the stairs into the bedroom and she fell on the bed and the paper that she'd been reading fell onto the bed and opened up. And it was a full page spread of Holman Hunt's The Light of the World. And he was amazed. What a coincidence. Phil knew that he had peace in his life. He had made peace with God. I had the privilege of speaking at his funeral about his faith in Jesus and the hope of the resurrection, the hope of heaven. Faith is daring to believe the promises of God. Daring to believe that what Jesus says is true, that he can hold us. Moore's reminded of a story of a, a famous tightrope walker called Blondin. He used to walk across the Niagara Falls without a safety net on a high wire. He did it hundreds of times, apparently over 300 times. And he would do different things. He would walk across and uh, he would stop famously once he stopped and cooked an omelette halfway across. Once he took a wheelbarrow across and he used to ask the crowds, you know, do you believe that I can do this? And they said, yeah, of course you can. Do you believe I can walk across with a wheelbarrow? Of course you can. Do you believe that I can walk across and carry someone across? And they said, of course you can. And then he'd ask for a volunteer and there would be silence. And then someone would volunteer. It would often be uh, his manager. And he would carry his manager across on a tightrope. Amazing. Jesus says if we trust in him, he can hold us. He can carry us to the other side. 
What are we believing in? Who are we trusting in? Jesus says, believe in me, trust in me. Secondly, the work of Jesus. And we looked at the cross last week and its meaning and how powerful it was. A common response to the faith question is, well, surely what matters is not faith, but how good you are, whether you lived a good life. But it's not enough. We need a saviour because the Bible says that we don't match God's standards. All of us have fallen short. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died for us on the cross, because we cannot save ourselves. God doesn't want anyone to perish. Faith is trusting in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, and that can be never taken away. Jesus died for us that we might be forgiven, that we might have a relationship with God, that he might set us free. Thirdly, it is the work of the Holy Spirit, because when we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and begins to transform us and change us. Our mind, our attitudes, our heart. We're going to look a bit more detail about who the Holy Spirit is and what does he do on a later talk. But it is the work of the Holy Spirit to bring that new birth in our lives, to bring that new life. We may not completely change overnight, but as we walk with Jesus, change will happen. We will think about that a bit more in the coming weeks. But faith hears the inaudible, sees the invisible, believes the impossible, and receives the incredible. The Bible says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Who are we trusting in for the biggest things in life? The biggest decisions that we will make? Who are we trusting in for what happens when we die? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if we're not believing in Jesus, who are we believing in? And will what we're believing in be able to hold us, carry us? One more true story, and then we'll bring a close to this talk. This is Wendy's story. Wendy was trapped by rejection and guilt and fear. Her mother died when she was only three years old, and her stepmother always hated her. She would say, you're ugly. No one could ever love you. And Wendy grew up believing that, that she was stupid, unworthy of anyone's love. Even though she did well at school. But then when she fell pregnant, her mother-in-law just said, well, I told you you were stupid. So much for your brains. Wendy brought up her child as a single parent. But when she fell pregnant again, she decided to have an abortion. She grieved over this, but she felt there was no other way. But as time went by, things began to change. She got a good job. She met a lovely man whom she married and he gave her a new start. 
Yet she never broke free from those feelings of guilt, those feelings of rejection. And when she became pregnant again, she was terrified that God would somehow punish her for her abortion by taking this child away. But then one night, she had the most amazing dream. And in the dream, she saw Jesus smiling at her. And his gaze made her feel clean all the way through and beautiful, the way she longed to be. And in her dream, she stretched out her hands to Jesus. And then she woke up. Soon after this dream, Wendy started going to a church. And she heard again how much God loved her and wanted a relationship with her. She believed in Jesus. She prayed a prayer with the pastor one day and asked Jesus into her life. And from that moment, she just felt clean all the way through. And she lost her fear of losing the baby. She knew she was loved by God. A few weeks later at that church, Wendy prayed for a lady who was in a wheelchair. And the lady was miraculously healed by Jesus. Her name was Jennifer Reese Larkham, and she's written lots of Christian books. Wendy knew for sure that her faith was real, that Jesus was real, and that God loved her and he had healed her too. Faith hears the inaudible, sees the invisible, believes the impossible and receives the incredible. To close, I want to read a little passage from the Bible, from John's Gospel. Jesus, the true light that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Faith is daring to believe the promises of God, trusting in Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit. I pray that you might, as you listen to this talk, trust in Jesus and take that step of faith. You'll never regret it. Thank you for listening.